0: On this edition of the Good Morning Hamilton podcast, Scott Radley sitting in for Rick Zampern today. We are going to tell you how much time, if you're a commuter, you are spending in your car, living in Hamilton, commuting only within Hamilton. I think you will be surprised. You definitely want to stick around for this. Uh, we're also going to be chatting about being more than a bystander month here in Hamilton, which is being celebrated, celebrated, which is being which is this month. I don't know if you celebrate it. You work on it this month. That is a better word. Uh, We're going to talk about a new campaign that will help people and will also help you clear out your closets with some of the clothes you no longer use. Uh, We're going to get into a documentary that is being shown at the Westdale Theatre about the Canadian comedy scene. Interest rate hikes, yeah, they may be coming, but why more of them are coming if they do, it's an interesting reason. It seems to be very cyclical, and not even cyclical, the tail chasing the dog in this one. We'll explain why. And if you're a fan of The Office, and who isn't a fan of The Office? We're going to tell you how you can live The Office. You can see The Office, be in The Office, and be either Jim or Pam, or Dwight, or Michael, Whoever you identify with, we'll tell it all coming up.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Uh, A new study is out that is by TomTom that is showing how much time the average consumer, pardon me, the average commuter, maybe consumer too, but the average commuter spent in traffic last year. This is across North America, uh, but in Canada, let's just limit it to Canada for right now um unsurprisingly any guesses which city would be the most time if you're a commuter which city would have the longest commute any guess yes you're right toronto of course 199 hours they say for the average commuter spent in traffic last year 200 hours basically vancouver just behind that at 197 uh surprisingly well not surprisingly montreal next then winnipeg surprisingly I didn't think Winnipeg would have all that much traffic, but nonetheless, I guess it does. London, Halifax, Edmonton, Ottawa, and then at 114 hours a year of commute time, stuck in traffic, Hamiltonians. Uh, Bruce Newbold is a professor of geography, the director of the School of Earth, Environment and Society at McMaster University joins us now. Bruce, thank you for this today.
2: Thank you and good morning, Scott. Great to be here.
0: Well, I appreciate you doing this. And and when I look at this, uh, I'm not surprised that Hamilton is well down the list of Canadian cities. But 114 hours just sitting in your car, stuck in traffic or commuting in a, in the course of year that's
2: still a lot of time. It certainly is. You know, and that's pretty amazing to see just how many hours we do spend in the car commuting to and from work. That's, you know, that really sort of shocked me where we are.
0: Yeah. And and because I don't think of, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive. I don't know. I I don't think of Hamilton as a really bad traffic city. Most of the time there are, there are moments, of course, you're going to run into it, but more often than not, it's usually reasonably easy. So 114 hours seems to be
2: very high. It does. But, and, and, and in some respects, you know, I think we have to say it's, it's happening. We know we're seeing more and more cars, more trucks on the road on a daily basis. And all of that just adds to the congestion on our roadways um, and, and ultimately increases the travel time.
0: Now, the one th- caveat to this number, because some people listening right now are going, wait a second, 114 hours. I thought it'd be like 400 hours. Well, the caveat here, this is people who are driving from home to work in Hamilton, uh, not driving from home in Hamilton to work in Toronto, Bruce, any guess? Because I don't have the number here. There's not a right answer, but any guess what the number would be for those who have to commute to Toronto every day?
2: Oh, yeah. If if you're having to commute to Toronto, you're probably looking, um, you know, well over 200 hours stuck in rush hour. And, you know, it's not surprising to see one-way commutes, say, Hamilton to Toronto in the morning of at least an hour, hour and a half, maybe even two hours for some people. And in some locations, we're seeing that length of commute time.
0: Yeah. And so if you consider that, let's say there's 200 workdays in a year that you're driving in or taking the train and it's an hour each way, you're now talking, you know, we're talking 400 hours or more of time. What can you get done in 400 hours if you had 400 <laughs> free hours? I mean, people could cure
2: cancer if they had 400 free hours. You can certainly do a lot in that extra time. You know, think of it in terms of the amount of time that we are away from our household, away from our family and the things that we could be doing around the house, socializing, being with friends, all those things we're missing out on because of that time we're in the car.
0: Now, there's a good news, bad news scenario potentially here coming for Hamilton. Uh, We know that the LRT is supposed to get work started on it soon. Ultimately, that may help. Uh, some people say it will. Some people aren't so sure. But nonetheless, we'll, 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 for the sake of argument, we'll say LRT is going to be a benefit to helping some people. But in the meantime, Bruce, is this downtown, especially of the city, not going to become a whole lot more difficult to get around in your car?
2: Well, I think that's what's going to happen is as as that construction starts and ramps up, we will see greater congestion and longer commute times just because of road closures and detours and, you know, the, the narrowing of lanes for construction. That's going to happen. But I have to agree, you know, over the longer term, once that's built out, uh, we should see shorter commute times. And there's other benefits as well, you know, reduced greenhouse gas emissions, cleaner air, better air quality uh, in the city. So there's a lot going and a lot of positive things coming from LR, the LRT. I
0: understand that we are talking about Hamilton here, um, but do any of the other, and, and I'm, you probably looked at this list, I, I listed it off very, very quickly, but do any of the other cities kind of surprise you with the time that was spent? I I, I don't understand. I, I'm sure you've been to London, Ontario. I, for the life of me, can't imagine how they could be vastly higher than us, but they are. And Halifax, same thing. And, and it's just some of these cities. It's, I don't know if it's poor planning or more drivers or what it is, but it's just baffling that they could have this much more time on the roads.
2: Yeah, I think it's in a place like Halifax, you've got the bridges connecting Halifax and Dartmouth. Fair uh, enough. You know, yep. That's probably going to create some of that congestion and longer times in the car. Uh, not sure what would be happening in London's case or in Ottawa's case, uh, for example. But I'm certainly not surprised to see um, cities like Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. No. Right at the top of our list.
0: Not at all. And the other one that's a puzzle, anyone who's ever been to Winnipeg, my only guess can be, and not to be dumping on the stereotype of Winnipeg, my only guess can be a lot of that is in the winter when things are moving very slowly <laughs> because of snow. Because if you know Winnipeg, it shouldn't be that difficult to get around all the time. But I was, maybe that's yeah, I was it.
2: thinking the same thing.
0: It is a it is a really interesting study. TomTom, uh, Tom, the um, it's a company that makes GPSs, so they they obviously have some sense of what's going on here. Uh, with the numbers, 114 hours. If you are a commuter in Hamilton, you probably spend at least, a, and that's just in Hamilton, not going to Toronto, you probably spend at least 114 hours in your car every year. There you go. Um, Bruce Newbold, professor of geography and the director of the School of Earth, Environment, and Society at McMaster University. Thanks so much for doing this this morning. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: We have the governor of the Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklem, telling Parliament last week that he may have to raise interest rates again. And the reason he may have to raise interest rates is because companies are raising their salaries, their pay too high. And the reason companies are raising their pay and giving workers more, it seems, is because the workers are demanding it because the cost of living is too high, in part because interest rates keep going up. This sounds like it is just going in a circle that doesn't end. Somewhere along the way, this something has to change, or, or well, let me bring in Eric Cam. Eric Cam, he is not the person like me who doesn't understand this. He does understand it. He's a professor of macroeconomics, monetary economics, international monetary economics, and the impl- implications of monetary growth with Toronto Metropolitan University. Eric, thanks for doing this today. Scott, how's my favorite graduate? Oh, you know what? He is totally puzzled because I was never good at economics in university. And now I'm looking at this story going, well, if you're raising interest rates because salaries and pay is going up, but pay is going up because interest rates are going up. How do we end this?
3: Yeah, isn't this a lousy, lousy cycle we're in? I mean, this is really funny because you and I have been talking about how this isn't just inflation. This is an inflationary spiral. And I know that some people reach out and they say, what is this spiral business? Well, this is the cycle. This is exactly what's going on. And it, it it brings in a bunch of things like expectations and prices and total revenue. And then so you're saying to me, can you unravel that? Well, in a lecture hall, I could, but it would put the listeners into a coma. So there's no sense doing that. <laughs> what we want to do is look at it from just a practical, make sense of this for me as a layperson which I try to do for myself. So here it is in a nutshell. It's a game of chicken between the Bank of Canada and the employers. You have employers saying workers want higher wages, so we have only two things we can do to increase our total revenue. We can increase prices or increase the amount that we sell. And that just pushes prices up higher. Then you have the Bank of Canada going, don't do that because that's profit gouging. The stories say we have no choice. So the Bank of Canada says, well, we have no choice. We're going to raise interest rates more. So people stop shopping at your store. The stores say, then we're going to raise prices more to make up for it. The bank says, we're going to raise interest rates. And there, my friend, in lies the spiral. You have everybody going, if someone doesn't take their foot off the gas, we're going to have to keep increasing things. And so it's just a really big game of chicken waiting for someone to blink. So who blinks? How does the blink happen then? Well, sadly, I think the blink is going to happen if the Bank of Canada, what they're trying to do is use an expectations model. They're saying, listen, if this doesn't stop, we're going to raise rates even higher and make spending even more expensive and to the point where you're just going to have to decrease your spending even further. And I think that's going to be what kicks in. I hope, I hope through these expectations, I hope through these announcements, people are saying, you know what, the bank's not playing games. We're going to have to lower our spending so those inflationary numbers come down. And I I think that's what's going to be what takes someone's foot off the accelerator. But I hope I'm right, because if it's not that, then you know the decreases are going to end up going through the labor market. There's only one market left to give, and it's going to be people saying, you know what, the heck with you, Bank of Canada. We'll just hire less labor. And so I think what the bank is doing is by not raising rates, they are basically putting the fear of God into people, but we can. And if we can, things are going to get worse. So stop your spending, bring down inflation, use stores, stop raising your prices, and we can try to get back to some manageable equilibrium. So I think I think the bank has played their card, and they're hoping that they, they pull out a 21. But like everything in the economy, Scott, and you and I have talked about it, we'll have to see. We don't have a laboratory. We have the real world, and we have to see how it plays out.
0: You mentioned employment though. Has Tiff Macklin not, maybe not in these exact words, but essentially said employment is too high to your point. And therefore, if I hear the governor of the Bank of Canada say employment is too high, my interpretation of that is we need to have fewer people employed and higher unemployment. That may work to bring down inflation, but boy, that sucks for the people who are the ones paying the price by being the unemployed.
3: Well, that's right. And doesn't it? And that's something I always tell my class. I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but when I do these models on the board and I say, what do you call this distance? And they say, oh, excess labor supply. I, I get really animated and I go, oh, that's people. They're unemployed. They can't feed their family. And they kind of look like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is about people. That's right. So what Tiff Macklem is saying is, is that this quote-unquote recession that we aren't even in yet, has pretty much zapped every market. It's zapped the credit market, the financial market, the money market. But the one market that's been buffered so far is the labor market. You haven't seen inflationary effects cause a decrease in the amount of people hired. And so again, not to be too repetitive, I think it's the banks saying be careful. Don't push us into doing something we don't want to do. It's like the parents saying, don't make me take that toy away. Don't make me raise rates where you could then lose your jobs. Everybody start playing nice in the sandbox. You stop gouging people. You stop threatening people, and we'll stop raising rates.
0: It is uh, It is so complicated, and it is such a mess, and so uh – Just so disconcerting at times to to do all this. Eric Camp, Professor of Macroeconomics, Monetary Economics, International Monetary Economics, Implications of Monetary Growth at Toronto Metropolitan University. Thanks, as always, for this. Stay
1: healthy, Scott, my honor. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: I am sure for many people listening, there are... A few extra items, a few things in the closet that are rarely worn slash never worn that not only are not being used, but probably if you really set your mind to it, you would be happy to get rid of. And better yet, what if you could do that and make a contribution to a good cause? Well... We are here to help. Sean Shannon is the president and CEO of the National Diabetes Trust. He's here to talk about the 40 Days 40 Items Challenge. Sean, thanks for doing this. You're welcome. Good morning. Tell me about the 40 Days 40 Items Challenge. It sounds daunting just by the number, but what is it?
4: Well, it's really just kind of another way that people could think about how they may want to participate and contribute to exactly what, uh, what you set up, uh, Scott. And, and, and that really is, we just thought, you know, sometimes people will say, Hey, it's a, it's a weekend. Uh, Maybe I'll spend a few hours on a weekend and I'm going to clear out my closet and I'm going to do a lot of work. And maybe that's a little daunting for some of us. So another kind of idea or way to think about it is, you know, what if, what if you just said to yourself, okay, I'm I'm going to set something up and I'm going to find one good item a day that I can give a second life to and one or heck, maybe two, but you know, nothing too daunting and just let it sort of build up in your collection for say 40 days or until you've got enough things that you want to make that donation. And so just sort of do it, do it over a, a, a slow period of time. And we kind of played on, you know, this time of year with, uh, with, with, uh, things like, uh, you know, for, for Easter, there's the, uh, you know, uh, giving something up for 40 days. So kind of playing on that, uh, that part of the season just to give people another way to think about how they could make some donations and participate in a really great cause.
0: And when the number is 40, and that's why I say when the number is 40 at first, I go, man, I don't know if I've got 40 things in my closet that I can get rid of or that I want to get rid of. Oh, I bet you do. I bet you do. (laughs) But you see, you beat me to the punch. You beat me to it because I, I don't, and as I say, I may not get to 40, but I bet I could get to 25 or 30. And I'm assuming even if it doesn't hit 40, you'll still accept it.
4: Oh, yes, absolutely. Like I said, this is kind of a fun way to, uh, to, uh, to inspire people, uh, really. So yeah, absolutely. Maybe you're all done after 10 items. Maybe you've got 40. Heck, maybe you've got 60 or 70 <laughs> or 80. Uh, you know, the key is, uh, are they in good shape? Would you, would you consider that somebody would be happy to, uh, to, to use them in a second life? And if that's the case, then uh, we can monetize that and it all goes towards a great cause in uh, helping to do uh, important research uh, for diabetes in Canada.
0: We have to try and find a phone number here for Amelda Marcos. I don't know, but I think she may have enough to, uh, somebody in the shoe department. Uh, okay, yes, how do you shoes count. Yes, and
4: shoes, shoes count. count. Yes, if they're, yeah, again, if you looked at them and said, hey, these shoes, just because I don't wear them anymore, uh, doesn't mean that somebody else wouldn't say, hey, they're the right size, the right style, et cetera. And uh, so long as they're in decent condition, then they would be the type of thing that you could make a contribution on
0: you mentioned monetizing it so that was going to be the next question this is this is raising money for diabetes for uh, for that but it's not just for i mean clearly it's not just for people with diabetes to have a bunch of new clothes so how is the, how does the monetization work how does this help
4: yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, really, uh, we we solicit and ask Canadians uh, from coast to coast uh, whether you are directly affected or involved or living with diabetes or not. Um, if this is a, a charity that you can get behind, and let's face it, m- most Canadians, if they're not directly involved with diabetes, probably know somebody who is. So it's Absolutely. a popular charity for sure. Um, But, yeah, uh, anybody can gather up their items. They can participate simply by either looking up and uh, finding Finding one of our local bins in, in their neck of the woods. Uh, for example, in the Hamilton area, we have over 30 different bin site locations. So there's always something not too far away from any Canadian um, across the country. Uh, you could uh, put it in your car, go drop it off at one of our bins. Simple rule is uh, if it fits in the bin, then it fits. If it doesn't fit, it's too big and you shouldn't just leave it. But, you know, most items of the of what we're talking about, you could put into a green garbage bag sort of yeah. thing.
0: And I can't uh, imagine what wouldn't fit. Well, I can't imagine mattress. the item of clothing—a mattress. Okay, a, a but, yeah. mattress
4: wouldn't fit, but you know, a mattress isn't really an item of clothing, and it's not something that we can monetize. Um, <laughs> but I will—I uh, will tell you, from time to time, I think some well-meaning people have left some items like that outside of our bin. But of course, those are just garbage. So we ask for people to uh, to just do things that would fit inside of a green garbage bag, um, if they're textile, meaning clothing, purses, shoes. You talked about anything like that. Of course, those can go into the bin. You might have some household items. Maybe you've got some really good kitchenware because you've just replaced all of your kitchenware and you're looking at it saying hey you know this this is still good stuff i just have something brand new well you can donate kitchenware and other small household items you can call us up make a booking online or give us a call and we'll schedule a pickup and we'll come pick items like that up right from your doorstep all these things we put into the marketplace we monetize them and there's a bottom line that we generate and that bottom line profit goes as i said towards all sorts of important research that's done across Canada, um, also helping support uh, kids with uh, type 1 diabetes, go to summer diabetes camp to learn how they can better uh, work and live with diabetes and all sorts of good research uses.
0: I couldn't believe it when I read that Was it last year you had 7 million pounds of donated clothing.
4: Yeah, yeah, for this particular promotion yeah. period that uh, we were able to, uh, to, to get about seven million pounds, which also keeps it out of a landfill. So it's sure. really got a dual benefit, Scott. It's not only helping to generate much needed money for important charities like diabetes Canada, but it's also giving things a second life and getting them back into somebody else's house in Canada, um, and giving those things a much needed second life and keeping them out of la- landfill and uh, garbage sites. So all the way around, it's really a win-win.
0: Uh, It is called 40 Days, 40 Items. Whether you are just so philanthropic that you have to do this to help or whether it's simply to declutter and you want to make it a valuable move to actually help someone while you're doing it, uh, it's a good idea. You can go to declutter.diabetes.ca to get more on this one. Sean Shannon, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Scott.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: February, not just a month for closed schools, something much more important than that. February is Be More Than a Bystander Month here in Hamilton. It's a month-long campaign to raise awareness on gender-based violence. And joining us to talk about this, Sue Taylor, who's the Executive Director of Interval House of Hamilton. Sue, how are you this morning?
5: Hi, good morning. How are you?
0: I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. This I believe is, uh, be more than a bystander, I believe came to Hamilton in 2016. So we've had a number of years of this being uh, uh, brought to us and us being aware of this. Have things changed since 2016? Has this made an impact that has improved things?
5: The program itself, I mean, we've designed it to engage boys, men and allies on multiple levels. School systems, now we're happy to announce that we're expanding into the workforce. Do I believe it's it's making change? Absolutely. If I didn't think it was making change, I wouldn't be investing our staff resources and time into it. I've seen the conversations that take place in youth sport dressing rooms. I've been a part of conversations that happen with high school kids. I've been a part of those conversations that happen at McMaster at Mohawk. There's interest, and I believe we're making an impact one person at a time.
0: And what, I mean, when you talk about those conversations what would be different? What, what would be the thing that you would notice that would give you the confidence and the comfort and the encouragement that, you know what, something is changing here?
5: Well, kids and well, boys, allies, whoever we're talking to, just stepping back and being first able to even recognize what gender-based violence is. There's always this assumption that it, it's only physical. We know that it's more than physical. We know that there's many behaviors that exist even far before it can become physical. So being able to recognize those problematic behaviors and then equipping people with tools, helping people understand why it can feel difficult to stand up and disrupt that cycle of violence and helping allies and boys and men to have the tools they need to confidently feel like, I can step in, I can do something more than just... Not be a part of the solution.
0: This year, I understand, um, and maybe this is not new, but I think it is that the, there's been a partnership that you've created now to train LIUNA representatives uh, to intervene and disrupt workplace harassment. Is is that brand new
5: this year? Yes, this is this is exciting for us. Um, I really enjoy working with uh, Victoria Mancinelli and LIUNA because they make commitments, they support the work that, that we do, which is phenomenal. And they're also they're implementing it. They are, they're taking those concrete, actionable steps. They're saying, not only do we support your work and we believe in your work, we're going to implement your work uh, into our workspaces so that we can help recruit and retain women in the trades. So, I mean, this is a great example of a community partner that is stepping forward and saying, you know, we absolutely support you and we're going to bring you into our workspaces because we believe that this is the right thing to do.
0: Is is it still a huge problem of harassment at the workplace for, for women who are working with men in these particular places?
5: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's quite an evidence fact that harassment and sexual harassment exists across many workspaces. What we need to do is take a look at the traits themselves. Um, women make up over half of the workforce in Canada, yet only 7% are represented in the traits. So, there are barriers um, that are challenges for women to both enter the trades and then retain and stay in the trades and providing, again, stepping in and providing that education, challenging those mm-hmm. structural barriers, those rigid gender norms, that hypermasculine space. These are all the platforms that will perpetuate gender-based violence and harassment. Being able to come in and start to dismantle that, right, our hope is that it's going to create safer pathways for women to both access, you know, economic equity being able to access trades and then stay in the trades, maximize their skills.
0: I think there's two different things that you may be talking about there. One is the idea of what happens when they're in the trades and how they may be treated. The other is them getting there. Do you see them, those two things as directly tied together?
5: well they're both i mean they both perpetuate and support the platform that prevents women from truly achieving equity and safety and i'll tell you a, a quick thing when i and i'm going to age myself by saying this but when i was back in the 80s when i was in high school trying to figure out what was i going to be in this world i wanted to work on cars i wanted to be a mechanic and my dad was very old school and he said to me i have two sons not three hmm. that completely changed my career path you know, and I look back and I'm like, am I happy where I am? Absolutely. But did that have a huge influence on where I was going to be? Absolutely. Right. So those that gender, you know, um, uh, that rigid gender norm that still very much exists perpetuates this concept um, and keeps women from achieving true true equ- uh, equity and safety in our, in Canada.
0: So is that the next, I mean, you, you've talked about the, the program you've got now with Liuna and changing it this way. Is that going to be the next step, is, is dealing with the parents who are, or, or is, that, is that too difficult to, to get the parents who are of a certain age, who are of a certain thought that, you know, do we have to take baby steps here as opposed to doing all of it at once?
5: I like to think that what we've learned from this project is it's, we're going to have conversations all the way through. We're going to have conversations with kids. We're going to have conversations in different platforms, classrooms, dressing rooms. And you know what? We're going to have conversations with adults, right? In my world, everyone is a potential ally. Let's have the conversation. Let's figure out what's going on and let's look at solutions.
0: Sue Taylor is the director of the Interval House of Hamilton. Uh, February is Be More Than a Bystander Month. I'm sure that there, you go to her website, you can find information there. Sue, really appreciate the time for this. Thanks for doing
5: this today. Uh, oh, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.
0: You're listening to the
1: good morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Canada is known for an awful lot of things, an awful lot of things, but one of the things that we have over the years been celebrated for were the funny people that we've produced Martin Short and John Candy and Eugene Levy and the whole SCTV cast and, Go down the list. There's so many funny people that Canada has put onto the world stage. But there's also those who don't necessarily do the Hollywood stuff, but do the comedy circuit, the comedy club circuit. And those, we have done an amazing job at producing them as well. And there's a new documentary out uh, about the Canadian comedy circuit. It's going to air at the Westdale Theatre tonight. It's called Profiles in Canadian Comedy. Uh, The producer of that is William Deverne, who joins me now. William, how are you today? (laughs) Well, you know, not great, as uh, I guess a lot of people are with the weather, but uh, yeah, how are you doing, though? I I am terrific. Listen, this is such a unique idea, because we know, we see all the time the folks who do the, as I say, the biggest names, the the most famous names in Canadian comedy, but I don't want to say under them. It's sort of a, it's a, it's a different world almost who are doing the clubs, doing the, the, the comedy circuit that many people have gone to, whether it's comedy at club 54 or yuck yucks or whatever, and got to know some of these people. This is, these are the people that you're featuring in your documentary.
6: Yes. There's quite a few of the, uh, we used to call them road warriors, you know, and some of the pioneers like in my uh, documentary um, like I'm profiling people like Donnie Coy, you know, who's the, the godfather yep. of comedy, certainly in the Hamilton area and, uh, Mike Bullard and Ben Guyett, uh, you know, for more of the, uh, bigger names, but also a lot of the other comics that, uh, make it as a living, you know, like, uh, people that work, uh, like Matthew DeSero and other comics who do, um, like cruise ships. And like, I tried to cover like, um, pretty well, all the different aspects of comedy uh, you know, like the, just, the, uh, yeah. And also doing the bar scene, you know, of course the bar scene is, uh, well, well, there's lots of, lots of stories and adventures about those, you know, in both the Hamilton Toronto area. And, uh, yeah. So basically that's what, what I did was I sat down like 12 of these guys all from different aspects of the comedy world and just covered everything. So They have uh, very funny stories uh, and very illuminating stories, but also for anybody watching, what the business of comedy is, if you actually want to, you know, like pursue it as a living. And a lot of these guys did, like successfully, many of them never had to have a day job. They were able to go out there and work
0: and um, support their families, you know, which is quite remarkable in the uh, Canadian entertainment world. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I've been to Yuck Yucks a bunch of times and a bunch of other places, and, and so I've seen it from the from the audience side, not from the stage, not from behind the stage, but even seeing it from the audience side, I've got to believe that when these guys sit down and start telling the stories of what goes on in that life, um, that you probably could have done about a 12-part series on this. <laughs> well, ultimately, Scott, that was kind of the idea, you know. Like, uh,
6: what I did was, as I say, during the covid I had all these guys uh, that, obviously, the clubs were all closed during that period. So I thought, why not get them over and just kind of sit down and let them tell their stories? So originally, uh, the plan was to do a whole series of just a half hour on each fella. And then when I noticed all their stories, I thought, this would be kind of interesting if I take, you know, like chunks and put them all together and all the different uh, aspects, as I said before, of the business, you know, back to back. And, you know, just to be a little more, uh, you know, quicker entertaining, you know, to the whole scope of what the Mm. uh, scene is. And it seems to uh, work really well. I was really impressed because these guys are witty naturally. And also because I know them personally. I've been in the business for 30 odd years and they will speak to me, you know, not only, you know, when you watch documentaries, it's more of like an interview, but they're all my friends. And so I get this inside scoop, you know, and they speak to me as friends. And there's wonderful stories, you know, like one fellow that, uh, you know, is a world traveler and and the difference in an audience in Hamilton to a difference in an audience in Russia or, you know, Mm. um, Africa, you know, like it's really funny, funny stories. I mean, plus also pretty, you know, racy stories, you know.
0: Well, I, yeah, I, I assume I assume there'll be some of those. I'm wondering as you're talking to these guys, though, because everyone's going to have their own unique story and their own unique perspective, but I wonder if as you were talking to them, is there anything that becomes a constant? Is there any part of their story that sort of was consistent with all of them?
5: Um,
0: <clears throat> some of the classic psychology, you know, you hear that and
6: it seems to be true. Most of them had a youth where they were bullied, you know, and they seemed to that that seemed to be the one universal thing. They all had that, oh, I gotta prove myself type of thing, and <clears throat> that seemed to be what really gave them the um, inspiration to get up on stage and do this as a living. Because and which is odd too, like when I I grew up in the Hamilton area, and I was painfully shy and and you know picked on and all that classic stuff. And then for some reason I got into the business as well, you know so. Yeah, we seem to all have that kind of common thing, you know, about, oh, we got to get out there and prove ourselves somehow. <laughs> but, well,
0: yeah. this is also a, an interesting thing, because I have to believe, and we only got a minute here, but I, I have to believe that what they do has changed dramatically over the years, because all of them have been in the business a long time. Our sensibilities have changed a lot. Has that affected, do they talk about how working in the comedy clubs has changed now that people can be more easily offended even though they're going to the comedy club knowing what they might hear that they still might be offended
6: yes scott that's a big area that i do cover in the documentary you know what we call basically from free speech to cancel culture you know like because you do have to be careful now when you go on stage it's different people have cell phones they like to videotape, you know, anybody, uh, even in interactions when it comes to hecklers. And then you get the interior human rights people that, you know, can, you can go to and complain if you think that a comic is being, you know, whatever, to uh, questioning in his material. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a lot. It's there. Yeah? It is like, there. I have to think about everything before I go on stage. It's not like the old days where he could just go up and so go up and let her rip. a lot in the documentary.
0: William Devern is the producer. It is uh, the 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 documentary is called Profiles in Canadian Comedy. It is screening tonight at the Westdale Theater. Free admission. Uh, doors yeah. open at six thirty. Show starts at seven fifteen. For people who want to go and see it, uh, William, listen, really appreciate you taking a few minutes to jump on with me today. Thanks for doing well- this.
6: I sure appreciate you talking to me, Scott, and I hope I'm going to see some people there, despite the weather,
1: but we're still going to put it on tonight.
0: 630, doors open, 715, show starts, free admission, Westdale Theatre. William, thanks for this.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: You know this theme song, right? Maybe not this version of it, but you know this theme song. The Office, of course, uh, one of the most popular modern sitcoms can't believe it's been off the air now for almost a decade i think but anyway you if you are a fan of this show uh you will now have an opportunity to not just watch it from your couch you can well get into the show almost literally get into the show through the office experience which is coming to toronto stacy moscatelli is the co-president and chief strategy officer for original x productions she joins us now stacy how are you today
7: I'm great. Thanks for having me, Scott.
0: Thrill, thrilled to have you on because this this looks like a lot of fun. I've been looking at the website and essentially, as I understand what you've done is you have recreated the set of the office and people can go and put themselves wherever they want in it. Is that pretty close?
7: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, the opportunity, like you said, to step inside the world of Dunder Mifflin, uh, the world's uh, funniest paper company. Um, You can come, you know, inside the office and, you know, take pictures at Pam's desk, at Michael's desk. You can um, open up the drawers and see what's inside and and really take a deep dive um, as if you were on the set.
0: Is this something that is a five minute visit then or is this something that takes a while to do?
7: It takes a while. You know, we see anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. Um, You know, it depends. What I've noticed is it depends on the level of the fan. So if you're a really hardcore fan and you want to look at, you know, everything um, on Jim's inside Jim's desk and uh, read, you know, some of his files and things like that, it'll take you a little bit longer. Um, And if you're, you know, kind of a casual fan, it might take you a little bit less time because you may miss some of those Easter eggs.
0: So how how detailed and authentic is this when you say you can open the desk? Are these things that you have come up with as, hey, that'll be funny to put in there? Or are these things that somehow have a connection to a plot from a particular show or something else?
7: They all have a connection back to the show, so we had um, the opportunity to work really closely with NBC Universal and also with D Productions, which is Greg Daniels' company. He's the U.S. show creator, and so we went on a really deep dive. And so uh, every detail has a reference back to the show. Nothing, uh, nothing is uh, by chance.
0: So those who are really serious fans, everything that something will mean, everything will mean something to them.
7: Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's a really cool opportunity. Not only do we have that set, but then we also recreate some of the funnier moments, like, you know, Threat Level Midnight, which was a film that Michael (laughs) Scott produced kind of throughout the seasons. We've got kind of a moment for Threat Level Midnight um, and things like that. So it's definitely the set, but then it's so much more.
0: Kevin's Chili.
7: Yes, Kevin's Chili Spill is a fan favorite for for everyone. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm I'm looking at a photo of it right now. And you know, in slow motion, when it's frozen in place, like it is yeah. right now, Kevin's chili really does look quite disgusting, but nonetheless, that's just a, a little side note, but there's a chance to take a picture there. You know, what's really funny about this is about a year ago, we were through Scranton, Pennsylvania, and it's amazing there when you talk to people, how much, how many people drive through Scranton looking for remnants of the office. And there really are almost none there. But they, it, when you talk to them, it points out how beloved this show really is, that people would make a point of driving around the entire city just to look for anything that would show something from the office. It, it, it really speaks to how much people love this show.
7: Yeah, I mean, it was one of, you know, the greatest sitcoms, I think, of all time. In 2020, it was the most watched television show or most streamed television show in 2020. Um, So, yeah, there's a huge fan base. People really love it. I think there's a lot that you can relate to, whether it's, um, you know, someone who you work with or Jim and Pam's love story. I think we all kind of have something from The Office that we can uh, relate to in our everyday lives.
0: Does everybody who comes to this then do the Jim and Pam desk or are there people who actually identify themselves more closely with Creed or Dwight or Michael? Everyone sees themselves as Jim I'm always
7: surprised when somebody admits that they identify with Creed, (laughs) but we have those people. They exist.
0: Uh, It was actually, it was very fun. We had Creed on the show a little while back and uh, unbelievable. Uh, And his name is Creed. I mean, just a great story there. Uh, This is at Yorkdale Mall, Yorkdale Shopping Centre now in Toronto. Uh, I think most people know where that is. And it starts March the 3rd and it's there for a while.
7: Yeah, we open next Friday, March 3rd, and we're open through June 4th.
0: Okay. And and do people, do you just show up or do you buy tickets or how does it work?
7: Either. You can either, you know, show up. We'll definitely have tickets available on site. I always recommend that people go online and buy tickets in advance. That way you can pick the day and time that works best for your schedule. It is a timed ticketed entry. So, you know, if you do show up on site, you might need to wait, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes or something until there's an available slot.
0: Okay. And tickets, what would be the price range for tickets?
7: Tickets start at $37.
0: Okay, there you go. Uh, Stacy Moscatelli, co-president and chief strategy officer for Original X Productions, which is putting this on. Stacey, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it.
7: Yeah, we can't wait to see you there.
0: Excellent. It is. Uh, it does actually look like a lot of fun. And people can look up theofficeexperience.com slash Toronto if you want to see. And, and looking at it again, uh, it looks... The, 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 the level of authenticity and closeness to the office, it is pretty remarkable what they have uh, put together.
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com
2: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.